Well, good morning, everyone. It's very good to be with you all this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please open it now to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. This is the final chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In the verses that we're looking at today, verses 36 to 53, they compose Luke's final scene in the Gospel. And as I'm sure we're all aware, last words are very important. As people, we tend to remember endings. We remember Frodo and Sam on the slopes of Mount Doom. We remember lava pouring all around them. The eagles coming on the horizon to save them. At least I do, anyways. But regardless of what your thoughts are on Lord of the Rings, endings are significant. Maybe you remember in school being taught that when you write a speech to make your most convincing point last, your strongest argument at the end, because conclusions matter. Authors always reflect that. They put key information and reminders in their endings so that their audience will remember what's important. And that is exactly what Luke does here in his gospel. So as we look at the ending of Luke's gospel this morning, we will see what Luke has to say about the facts of the ascension, the reasons for Jesus' ascension, and we will see what the ascension means for us today. So hopefully by now you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. Please turn your attention there. And hear now the word of the Lord. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I stated earlier, last words are crucial. And it is clear in this text, that Luke's last words are dedicated to proving the authenticity and the historicity of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, the truth of these events. And remember that that's a major part of Luke's gospel. In his introduction to the gospel, Luke writes this, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's significant. 
Luke is writing his entire gospel for the express purpose of providing a clear and accurate record of what happened. Tim Keller, in a sermon on this chapter, says this. says, the whole chapter has the earmarks of an eyewitness account. Luke's whole purpose is to give an eyewitness perspective on the events of Jesus' life so that we can be certain that they actually happened, that they are historical fact. Before our text today, Luke includes the road to Emmaus story where Jesus appears to two disciples. And even earlier than that in the chapter, he includes the fact that it was women who first discovered and announced the resurrection, which is important in that day and age. He includes Jesus appearing to the disciples in Jerusalem. He includes them touching his body, his hands, and his feet. He includes Jesus eating food. Luke includes all of this so that we can be 100% sure that these events happened. And if all of that happened, we can be very confident that the next part of the story, the ascension of Jesus Christ, happened. We can be 100% sure that Jesus rose from the dead and that he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Luke gives us the eyewitness testimonies of these facts. Throughout history, eyewitnesses have been the most common way to prove something to be true. They have been enough, they've been sufficient to prove whether someone is guilty or innocent in the court of law. Multiple times in scripture, we see that witnesses are required to prove if someone is guilty or innocent. Numbers 35, the whole chapter is devoted to murder and to figuring out if someone is innocent or guilty. And they require two witnesses. So if it only takes two witnesses to determine if someone is guilty of murder and can sentence them to death, then I am positive the multiple, many eyewitnesses of the ascension of Jesus Christ are undeniable proof that this event happened. And we can also be confident that not only did this event happen, but that Jesus also ascended bodily into heaven. Look in your Bibles with me to verses 39 and 43. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So Jesus appears to the disciples, and they're stunned. They think they see a ghost. So he says, no, see, touch my hands. Feel the scars where the nails pierced my skin. It is I. Spirits do not have flesh and bones. And while they're still marveling about this, to drive it home, he asks for food. Have you ever thought about that? How weird that little section is? Luke is recording the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The single most important event in human history. He says, oh, by the way, Jesus ate some fish too. Seems like a weird detail to include. Unless, of course, Luke is trying to demonstrate the fact that Jesus did not rise from the dead as some spiritual entity. Jesus did not rise from the dead metaphorically or symbolically. He was not some ghost or incorporeal being. No, he rose from the dead with a human body. And that means, as Luke also records for us, that he ascended with a human body. The resurrected Jesus is the ascended Jesus. Jesus did not ascend into heaven and become some sort of spirit. He retains his physical resurrected body in heaven. He is physically 
seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven right now. So Luke demonstrates for us the facts of the ascension. And the facts of the ascension are this. Jesus truly rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he did so in a real human body, a body as human as yours or mine. But I think that leaves us with a question this morning, a question of why. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why did Jesus conquer death and then go away? Why did he not simply conquer the world then and there? Why did he not usher in the new heavens and the new earth? Luke also provides us with some reasons for that. The first reason we see is that Jesus ascended in order for the Spirit to come. We saw this in verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the same idea echoed in John 16, where Jesus tells us more about why he's sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John 16. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus needed to ascend. He needed to ascend into heaven to send down the Spirit to pour it out upon the church, to clothe the disciples with power from on high. But notice that Luke tells the disciples that they are to be, that Jesus tells the disciples that they are to be his witnesses. But they are to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. So if the disciples needed to wait for the Spirit, if they needed the Spirit before they could be effective witnesses, clearly we should need the Spirit as well. Clearly, we need the Spirit in order to be faithful and effective witnesses for Jesus. I don't think you needed me to tell you that. I think that each and every one of us here knows that we would be absolutely useless in sharing the gospel and witnessing to the world in our own power and ability. Think about that for a moment. Think about how terrifying it would be if other people's salvation relied upon your ability upon our persuasiveness or convincingness. I think that would ruin me. Thankfully, Jesus tells us that the Spirit has come, that he will clothe us with power. You see, it is the Spirit who enables our witness. It is the Spirit who determines the effectiveness of our witness. All we have to do is tell the truth. So it is a good thing that Jesus ascended so that he could pour out the Spirit upon the church, so that he could equip the church to proclaim the gospel to all nations and all people. That's what Luke tells us. The second thing Luke tells us is that Jesus ascended in order to usher humanity into God's presence. In order to usher humanity into God's presence. This is a major event. Sometimes as Christians, we focus in on the cross and on the resurrection, and we should. They are climactic. However, the ascension is a major event. It is a paradigm-shattering, world-changing event. For the very first time in human history, since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, a human being is welcome in the full, undiluted, unaltered presence of God the Father Almighty. That is incredible. 
Remember that Luke is demonstrating here that Jesus ascended into heaven as a human being. He was as fully human as he was before he died, as you and I are. And he is right now sitting in heaven in the presence of God the Father Almighty. Jesus has made it so that human beings are once again welcome in the presence of God. And that's the story of the Bible. The whole Bible is dedicated to that narrative of God making a way for human beings to once again be able to be in his presence. We were driven out by the fall and by sin, and we have been unable to gain full access to the Father. Human beings have seen glimpses, Moses on Mount Sinai and in the temple, but no one until Jesus has been able to see the Father fully. Until Jesus comes and dies on the cross and the veil separating God's presence from the world is torn in two. And Jesus ascends as the very first human to experience the fullness of God's presence. But it's better than that. Because the Bible says we can look forward to that as well. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That means that we have a home in heaven to look forward to. A place where we belong with God. As Jesus himself reminds us in John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That where I am, you may be also. Jesus ascended to give us a home in the presence of God for all eternity. Now the third thing that Luke shows us is that Jesus ascended in order to sit at the right hand of the Father. We see that in verse 51, that Jesus was carried up into heaven as he blessed the disciples. Now Luke here doesn't explicitly mention the right hand of the Father, but the consistent teaching of the New Testament is that is exactly what Jesus ascending into heaven means. When it says he ascended to heaven, it means he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. That is why we say in the creed that Jesus ascended into heaven and sitteth the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We see this in verses like Ephesians 1 verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. In other places, like 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So Jesus has ascended bodily, and he is now in his rightful place, at the right hand of the Father, with all authority on heaven and earth having been given to him. But also listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not 
man. So Jesus is serving as our high priest, as our representative in the perfect tabernacle, the perfect tent set up by the Lord. Just as Moses and Aaron would enter into God's presence in the desert to intercede on behalf of Israel. Now Jesus is permanently in God's presence, interceding on behalf of the church. He is our perfect high priest. And he is our perfect king, the king of all creation. We saw that in 1 Peter 3 just now. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. You see, Jesus is already ruling over all creation. He has already conquered We are simply living in the already, but not yet. A time where Jesus' full conquering presence is being held off in a limited capacity for a limited time. In order that God's patience and mercy might lead to more people being saved. But do do not doubt for a second that Jesus is the one in charge. Do not doubt for a second that Jesus is the one in charge. It's easy to do that, especially in today's day and age with COVID ravaging the world, with things not going the way we think they should. It's easy to doubt that Jesus is on the throne. But he is. He is the king. All power and authority have been given to him. He is in charge. So we see that Jesus ascended in order to claim his rightful place at the right hand of the Father where he rules over all creation, where he intercedes on our behalf. Jesus ascended in order to pour out his spirit upon the church. And he ascended in order to make a place for humanity in heaven. So we know that Jesus truly and bodily ascended into heaven. We know why. The only question left for us this morning then is what does all of this mean for us? And the first thing is is simple, and we've already mentioned it. But it's the idea that Jesus is interceding for us. We just discussed the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father. He's functioning as our high priest. He's interceding on our behalf. But I want to lean into that for a moment. I want you to listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 4. Let them just wash over you and meditate upon them for a minute. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you hear that? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a powerful reminder that is for us this morning, that we can with confidence draw near to the God of the universe, that we can through Jesus Christ approach the one who dwells in unapproachable light. You can do that. You can find mercy there. You can find unconditional grace and forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith in Jesus, you will find all that you can possibly need at the throne of grace. Can you say amen to that? 
Now, this is a time when many of us are feeling our burdens pretty heavily. Are you weary this morning? Are you tired? Are you discouraged at the fact of another month of lockdown? My wife this past week was listening to uh, the TGC Women's Conference. And she was listening to a breakout session and the lady was talking about the persecuted church. And I just overheard a bit of it in the background, but it just really struck me. She was talking about the fact that, I think it was in China, I don't remember all the details. But she was talking about the fact that the church there, they had lost the ability to gather. They had their Bibles, people came into the home and took their Bibles from them. But they rejoiced because they said they can never take our prayer and fasting. They can never take it. And that's what, that's what Jesus, that's what the ascension means for us. They can never take our prayer. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And that's my encouragement this morning, that we can lean into prayer. This next month, let us heavily draw near to the throne of grace and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Because it is a time of need. And that's the beauty of the ascension, that we can always approach the throne of grace. We have a God who's always listening. So let us come to Jesus in prayer. Let us bring our burdens. Let us bring our needs, but also our praise to Him. Let us worship Him. Let us come to prayer often and without ceasing. The second thing that the ascension means for us this morning is another thing that we've already mentioned. And it's the fact that we are Jesus' representatives on earth. We've already mentioned that the church is the one responsible for bearing the witness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to the world. Simply put, Jesus ascended into heaven and gave us a job to do. He has given us the responsibility of being his ambassadors here on earth, to represent him in all that we say and in all that we do. We are called to be salt and to be light. I want to emphasize, though, for a moment, the word witness. This is the word that Luke uses in his gospel. The Greek word is martes. And 34 out of 35 times it's used in the New Testament, it's translated as witness. And the dictionary of Bible themes is really helpful. It says this, A witness is individuals who, having observed something take place, are able to give an accurate and full account of what has happened. And that's exactly what the disciples are called to do by Jesus, isn't it? They are called to give a full and accurate account of what happened. That's simply what the gospel is. That's what the good news is. The full and accurate news of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we are called to take up that task, to be ambassadors, to give a full and accurate account of Jesus to the world. So we must live in a way that honors and reflects Jesus. And we must share the gospel. We must be active in evangelism. It is not a recommendation. It's not simply a good idea. It is not optional. The Dictionary of Bible Themes also tells us this about what it means to be a witness. It says, The theme of giving account is also of major importance to evangelism. 
which rests upon believers explaining the impact of Jesus Christ upon their lives. I want to point out two things there. Evangelism rests upon believers explaining the impact of Jesus Christ upon their lives. Not pastors, not trained evangelists, not apologists, believers. Each and every Christian needs to be able to explain the impact that Jesus Christ has had on your life. And frankly, if you are unable to explain the impact that Jesus has had on your life, it begs the question if he has had any impact at all. So that's our job. We are Jesus' witnesses. All we have to do is be honest about what Jesus has done for us to the world. That's the job Jesus has given. That is why he ascended, so that we could proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to all nations. So today we have seen that Jesus truly and bodily rose from the dead, that he truly and bodily ascended into heaven, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, that we are to be witnesses to all nations and all people, that we have a great high priest in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, who is ruling over all creation, but who we can approach, we can bring our burdens and our weariness, that we will find grace and mercy in our time of need. So as we close in worship this morning, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Let us lift up our hearts in prayer and in worship to Jesus, our great high priest who ascended to heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father. Let's pray together. God, the ascension is something that we often look over. We don't dwell on it as often as we should. But what a timely reminder it is to focus on the ascension, on what the ascension means for us. God, the fact that Jesus is sitting at your right hand right now, listening to us, interceding on on our behalf is mind-blowing. Lord, that provides comfort that we cannot even put into words. Lord, so I pray, God, that you would just help us to draw near to the throne of grace, especially this next month, Lord, that we would not try to tough it out. We would not try to be strong and put on a brave face. God, that we would not try to be confident in our own strength and ability. Let us admit our weakness. Let us bring our weakness, our heavy burdens to the foot of Jesus who will give us rest for our souls. Lord, and let us be confident that Jesus is ruling over all creation, that nothing is outside of your sovereign control. So I pray that we would take up the mantle of being witness to the world, that we do so resting fully in the comfort that comes from being at the foot of the throne of grace. Amen.